Welcome to the Ag Future Podcast, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the future of farming, food, and nutrition. I'm talking with Kieran Whitaker, founder and CEO of IntoCycle. To give listeners an idea of what your company is about, I want to start with a description of your website. <laughs> it opens with what appears to be millions of fly larvae. You scroll down a bit further and you see a tractor that looks like it's seeding, and then a striking message appears next to a fly that animal farming is killing the planet. All of this appears to be a pretty bold statement. Kieran, what is Intocycle trying to tell the world? The angle here is that uh, a lot of people don't realize, and obviously I understand to the, the current audience, they'll be much more clued up, but to the general public, they understand that when they farm, they eat a farmed animal, that farmed animal has to itself eat feed. And that feed usually comes from various locations around the world and most often developing countries. So what often happens is that there is a heavy impetus placed upon the environmental area of the local region, aka cutting down rainforest to grow soy, catching small pelagic fish as fish meal to feed animals. And all of that has a huge negative effect on the environment. So the actual local farming itself is not necessarily that negative. It's actually in many ways very positive. A lot of care is taken, a lot of effort, but it's all that upstream feed that goes into it that people just don't realize. And that's what we're talking about is tackling that huge problem. Because for every kind of kilo of, of meat that you eat, you have to feed it several kilos of protein for that animal to feed uh, and grow. So we're tackling head on kind of the core root, which is a big problem. Was IntoCycle born out of kind of an aha moment or was it an idea that came out of solution-seeking discussions about population growth and unsustainable grain production? So I think personally I had an aha moment, but the actual idea wasn't an aha moment per se. So my background is environmental design, environment engineering, and I did this a master's in this field, which I thought was a very good uh, business opportunity to start. However, I then went traveling just that one more time after university and that turned into a kind of five and a half year around the world experience uh, working as a scuba diving instructor. So I worked in Southeast Asia, Central America, South America. I lived up here in North America for a while. Kind of everywhere that I went, especially in the developing world, our rainforests have been cut down, our coral reefs are disappearing, not even dying they're just disappearing and our fish populations are you know non-existent the, the phrase plenty more fish left in the sea just doesn't exist anymore essentially i know that we will always find a new technical solution it's just how much are we willing to give up from an environmental point of view until we find that technical solution so i want to push it now my kind of aha moment was you'll meet very few people who moved from a beach in mexico back to wet, windy, rainy London in January. But, you know, I had my mission and here, here I am today. So your solution is uh, the world's first environmentally controlled, fully automated system to produce industrial levels of black soldier fly protein. Can you tell me a bit about that process? So there are many different types of insects that people are starting to farm, uh, crickets, locusts, mealworms, etc., um, even houseflies, but a lot of them have even negative issues. So they're pest species or disease vectors, or they're just too slow to produce. So we focused on the black soldier fly because it is non-disease, non-pest. The adults don't even have a traditional digestive system, so they don't eat, which means that the larvae have to gain all of that energy before metamorphosizing into the fly. So they are the fastest. They literally go from a grain of sand into an inch within a space of uh, less than a week, really. And they consume food waste. 
we're tackling two problems head on, the massive environmental burden from food waste plus a new source of protein. When I say new, insect animals eat insects anyway. It's just a natural part of their diet. So we're just returning back to a normal way. For us, our true belief is you need to use kind of 21st century technology to bring what is a 150 million year old solution into the food chain. So we're talking about robotics, automation, machine learning, visual recognition to, to drive down that price point so it actually can be competitive. Because with any new industry, you need to take a holistic approach. So we feel that the kind of farmers of tomorrow are the engineers of today. We will always become more advanced in the way we're doing things and agriculture, you know, is just evolving into this new kind of technological space. And we want to be at the front of that. So when you're talking about um, the larvae eating food waste, a lot of things could come to mind. So what, what specifically are they eating? So the insects themselves can eat nearly any food waste. So we're talking everything from manure on farms through to uh, household catering waste. But where we're looking at and where we think the, the future lies is in pre-consumer waste. So whiskey grains, beer grains, both the solid and the liquid grains, uh, spent coffee waste from uh, coffee shops or industrial processing plants, rotten vegetables, you know, f- f- you know, w- they can take anything realistically. We want to make sure it's a clean source. So we know what's the input because then we know what the output is. And as the technology evolves, maybe we can evolve into new areas. But right now it's beer grain, coffee waste and potato waste is what we're using in London. Gotcha. My partner is a home brewer and the spent grains start to ferment quickly. Is that when the larvae like to feed most, when the grains are kind of odorous or is it best to get the grains as quickly as possible? So for us, because we're a precision farming operation, having the standard or as standardized an input will always give you a better quality product output. But realistically... When the apple fell from the tree and started fermenting, the insects land on the apple, the bird eats the insects, and off we go up the food chain. So realistically, they don't mind. Mm-hmm. They, uh, an amazing thing about a lot of biology that, you know, that we don't see every day is that many animals digest food external to their stomach before then eating it. So actually, remember, these insects have been fighting for billions of years for the same resources with fungi, with bacteria. And they are the winners. They're the big boys and girls in the, in the market. So they will always win. They don't mind anything. So they would love the the smelly grains. Just out of curiosity, are there certain grains that the larvae seem to respond to better than others? In other words, are the more are they more into simply barley-based beers or ones with more glucans that typically come from wheat and rye, like Belgian beers? What what kind do they like? So again, we don't just feed them with a single input. We're using a combination because, much like us, they need a balanced diet. So we use a combination what we're currently using because we sit right on the tip of the very trendy Bermondsey beer mile in London and we have about seven big very fast growing breweries uh, doing IPAs stouts uh, the whole range so we take a, a, a big a big plethora of inputs um, they love it all to be honest <laughs> they're not picky <laughs> no I mean you, when you've got to think this is essentially like a wormery but instead of taking six months it takes us six days through the same process so when they digest it they leave behind a fertilizer so we're not just like double impacting on the input of waste to new product. We're also producing two different products, which is protein and fertilizer. Gotcha. Uh, well, how do you actually collect the larvae? So we have two processes ourselves. One, we farm the insects ourselves. Um, and we have the world's first fully automated insect farmer to do this. The 1% is repop- used to repopulate. So is the, the adult, the broodstock. 99% then go to be put into controlled environment crates, 
which they eat the food waste. And at the end of it, you have a very small, fine fertilizer and very large larvae, which we just pull over separation sieve plate. And the soil falls through, the larvae go down to be processed into protein flour. Gotcha. When you market this to farmers, do you just kind of take out your handful of dried flies and, you know, pitch it into a pond for aquaculture and say, look how tasty these are? How do you market something like this? So when I was in Brazil, we used to just feed a lot of the uh, animals on the farm, chickens and pigs uh, with the, the raw live larvae and the amount of amazing happy noises would come. So I would be followed around by a gaggle of about 40 chickens at any one point when I walked. The pigs would always know when we were coming nearby and would just literally start me. I'm not going to do a pig impression. It's happy, <laughs> but you can imagine what it sounds like. Realistically, where we're looking at is a high quality nutrition industry. So actually providing just a protein flour to big feed companies such as Copeland's to make into pellets, specialized pellets, predominantly aiming at the higher end aquaculture market. But last year, aquaculture was deregulated. Next year, chickens will become deregulated in 2020 it looks like pigs will also so the market is huge it's just in aquaculture alone they're saying it's a hundred billion dollar opportunity so take that across all the different industries and remember year on year on year we're growing bigger and bigger and bigger is in terms of the farming industry so even though i started off by saying this is a negative input influence farming i actually think it's a huge opportunity to increase massively the sustainability and also feed a growing population when you say it's being deregulated, do you mean uh, insect protein? Yes, insect okay. protein. So which markets is allowed to be used in? So, I mean, it's it's almost a, a joke in a way because it's called fly fishing when you go and catch a salmon because you put a fly on the end of the hook. Uh, everyone knows you pay a premium for your free-range chicken because it's, it's half the time in the field eating insects. It's just a natural source and we need to commercialize it. So that's where we're focusing. Mm. And how does the cost compare to other feed? You said that it is kind of a, a higher quality protein. So right now we we all know and the whole market out there knows that insect protein is more expensive purely because it's such a novel new industry. Even with the kind of the big players out there, they're still producing just relatively few tons a year. Where this industry needs to go is the, is the tens of thousands of tons a year per facility. And what we're focusing on is not necessarily producing protein, but producing the technology to produce the protein and then find partners to do that with. So whether large waste producers, feed companies or farmers who are already vertically integrated or even entrepreneurs who are looking to put a new unit on, the, on their farm, for example, or this is a technology. So we're looking more at a decentralized model and working with other people. But our focus is on the technology to do this. What would you say is the true cost of a global protein obsession, conventionally speaking? Yeah, so I think that this is one of the big fundamental issues is the, the untraceability or the, un, the unknown by the final consumer, the everyday mom and dad who is buying the, the chicken, meat, etc. We don't include the water cost that comes from developing it. We don't include the labor cost, the shipping cost, the true, I would probably say it's probably five times larger than we're, what we're paying for. So somewhere along that supply chain, someone is paying. And it's realistically, it's not us as the end consumer. It's the, the early stage farmer. And... You know, whether you care about farming or not, you should care about that full supply chain. So there is no reason why we can't be doing more sustainable things today. The only rationale is people are just following the process before. So we want to be really pioneering at the front. And I think why being in this partnership and this accelerator with Alltech is phenomenal because, you know, you guys are doing the same thing across the world. So if we can tap into even a small part of that, then we have a massively positive effect as well. Can you talk a little bit about how you've been able to fund what you have so far? 
Yeah, so I uh, saved up a bit of cash while I was that scuba diving instructor I talked about. Uh, not much, I'm not going to lie. I moved back to the UK and moved back in with my folks after about 10 years of having lived away. Tough, not going to lie, but I was almost like manically obsessed with developing this technology. So I was working till 4am every day by myself, found a very cheap place to, to work out of. I then moved to Brazil and built a pilot facility over there for nearly six months. Um, stayed in eight months in total. And then when I came back to the UK, we got into an accelerator program called Mass Challenge. We were one of the winners, so I got £20,000 off that, managed to hire a few people. We started winning several big grants from the European and UK government, and including the European Space Agency, actually. We then got into Y Combinator, which is one of the global accelerator programs in Silicon Valley. I think it's like one in 40,000 get accepted a year. So off the back of that, we raised uh, our first significant seed round and we're now looking at our second raise, especially as part of the development we've done with Alltech has just opened so many doors to us. So it's upwards and onwards, I suppose, is the right way of putting it. Yeah. You recently presented at the Pierce Lions Accelerator uh, as well. What was that like and how did you come across the opportunity? So we were we, we saw an approach to apply for the Accelerator program and Honestly, at the beginning, we were like, we've been through a couple of accelerator programs. This one might be a little bit nice because it's focused on agriculture. Let's just, let's have a go. Uh, we applied, came up, flew over to Dublin from London and were thankfully accepted. And our honest answer was we didn't know what to expect. And we turned up and literally blown away as to the support, you know, being able to access the vice presidents and CIOs and CEOs of such a large global corporate has just opened our eyes. And it's... They've helped us destroy our business model and rebuild it again from scratch. They've helped us like open our eyes as to like how you get this into the supply chain. And also, you know, you don't have to do everything by yourself. There are there are already paths that have been trodden by experts, aka all tech, that you can uh, tap into and learn. So yeah, we're beyond our wildest dreams as the program has been. So, so where do you see them taking you next with your company then, like immediately? The previous step was how do you not just become another commodities company? You know, how do you not just try and race to the bottom, which is never going to be good for anyone, whether it's the, com the startup or the company or the end user. And creating that extra value brand, which is around trust, which is around reputation, which is around, you know, product development, is where we're also going to follow this kind of like, don't aim for the bottom, aim for the top. And I think that's just a good process to go forward. Lastly, at the Accelerator, I'm sure you were among a number of incredibly interesting startups. Uh, besides your own, what was your favorite? Oh, that is a brutally hard question because it's, I think, one of the biggest benefits from the Accelerator program is not necessarily the program itself, but it's who you get to meet. And that's especially having a cohort because you remember you're going through a journey and it's quite lonely to run a business by yourself. So if you've got other people you can lean on, you know, how do you do that bit of technology? How did you sign that contract? How did you kind of negotiate that? Who do you know can do this, that, or the other? I would have to say that um, even though it kind of goes around some of my personal principles, I love the guys at Vents with the uh, electronic ear tag because, you know, I built a lot of fences in my, in my childhood, like replacing my parents, and it's hard work. So that's phenomenal. Um, the exit guys are, fun, you know, it's a whole new industry looking to CRISPR and it's something we'll be looking at as well with uh, improving our product supply chain. All of the in-house teams as well, great. I mean, like, it's just been phenomenal. So I kind of, I threw a, a few winners, but everyone's a winner. I'm talking with Kieran Whitaker, founder and CEO of IntoCycle. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a great day. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Ag Future Podcast, presented by Alltech. For show notes and more episodes, visit alltech.com forward slash agfuture. future.